interesting. We live in a world that is growing more and more skeptical, and um, their explanation of life and 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 origin and everything is natural processes. And and it's interesting as we've watched our world become more and more skeptical about God. But in the midst, in spite of that. God is at work. God is moving in the world. God is moving in our church, and, and God is at work all over the place. And there have been moments in my life that, as, as Robin and I began this calling in ministry years ago, uh, right before, really right as we got engaged, um, we've watched God work in ways that we've said, I'll never doubt again. That that's God at work. That's God. God just did that. And, and this is just how God moves. And, and, and the fact is, we live in a world that, is, that doesn't recognize God, but you and I are, are the church. We are called to, to uh, serve the Lord and honor the Lord and point the world to the work of God in this place. And I love that calling. I love it that we are privileged to be a part, be used by the Lord in supernatural ways. And we get to experience God at work. And, and you know, we, we've seen it this week. As, it was interesting as, as Joe was baptized today. It was such a cool moment. I mean, those, the baptisms we got to experience today. Um, you know, uh, God moved in Joe's life. And, and it's interesting, all the different people that were praying for her. Uh, that, that I didn't even know about. I get a call on Thursday from Abby, sitting right over here. She said, hey, I'm, I'm praying for Joe. And, and I said, Joe got saved last night. She's like, oh, my goodness. It was God at work. God is moving, and God is alive, and God is at work in the world. This morning, we're going to be looking in Acts chapter 3, and, and this series rooted. Today, I want us to think about that we as the church are rooted in the power of God. That, that's the, the foundation of our life. God is, God's power is at work in us. God's power is at work around us. And, and, and Acts 3 is this incredible moment when the apostles are, are just serving the Lord and God's, God moved through them miraculously. Now, um, Acts 3 is, is a record of one of the miracles of God, a miracle of healing. And it's incredible when you think about this idea of healing. Uh, you know, it's interesting. I think Keith signed me up for this. There's a guy in California named Peter Popoff, and I get his mailing, I get his letter every so often. And, uh, and he's like, hey, if you send me money in this prayer cloth, I'll touch it and pray over it, and you'll be, you know, you, you won't get the flu or something like that. I'm, I'm like, Keith, you punk. And he's always signing me up for stuff. Um, now, I want to encourage you that if you get a letter from Peter Popoff that you don't send him money. Because there are, there are people out there that have uh, made the claim of healing and they're fraud. They're, they're lying. But I don't want you to take those frauds out there and buy into the lie that, that God doesn't heal. Because let me tell you something. God's at work and God has the power to heal. And there are times that God does it. We've seen it in our church. We have watched the Lord just in our midst heal people. Acts 3 is this record. And so if you have your Bibles, I want you to stand with me. And we're going to look at Acts 3. We're going to read together verses 1 through 10. And this is an incredible story, incredible moment in the, in the, in the life of the apostles. And, and then I want you to hold with me through Acts 3 because we're going to kind of track through this passage this morning. So Acts 
3 verse 1 starts out, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a lame man from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold. But what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. And this is the word of the Lord. Amen. That's cool. Um, You know, um, Peter and John, it's interesting, they had a strong connection. They had a strong friendship because here they had watched, they'd walked with the Lord. They'd walked with Jesus. They had, they had seen him uh, turn the water into wine. They'd watched him heal people. They had, they had experienced the power of God in supernatural ways. And then they, then he died. He died and, and they couldn't believe it. They were shattered. I mean, John stayed close to Jesus. He never left. He's the disciple I want to be like. Um, Peter took off, bailed, and, you know, denied Christ. And and then, as they were in the upper room, they saw Jesus after he had died. They were, oh my goodness, here he is. He resurrected. He spent 40 days with, they spent 40 days with the resurrected Jesus, listening to him teach. And, and, and man, they were, they were blown away. They, they, had, they were in awe of God. They were in awe of the power of God. And, and we would be too if we would have been there and been, been able to see Jesus and, and watched all those things take place. And, and, and then they watched Jesus ascend into heaven. And, he, and it's crazy. I mean, Peter and John were, man, they, they had seen it all. Acts 3.1 says, and they were going to the temple about the ninth hour, the hour of prayer. Now, uh, for hundreds of years, the Jews would go to the temple at these various times. I mean, the Jewish day started at 6 a.m., so right now it's about 3 o'clock. Now, all the way back to Psalm 55, David talks about going to to pray and and consistently evening, morning, and at noon praying. Daniel in Daniel 6, he talks about this. And and, and right now it was about about 3 o'clock, and they're going to the temple, you may think, well, why are they going to the temple? I thought they were Christians now. Why would they do this? But you've got to recognize that the, the disciples, the apostles, they weren't planning to start a new religion. They were Jews, and they were planning to be Jews. Now, as, as Acts unfolds, we recognize this incredible movement of God, how the Samaritans came to Christ, and then the, the, uh, the, the, eventually the Gentiles came to Christ. I only know a few Jews in, in our church, and, um, and this is a big deal for us because we're Gentiles, and we wouldn't have been included at this time. And so the, the Jews were, were coming to faith in Christ. The disciples weren't planning on not being Jews, so here they go. They, they go to the temple to pray. Acts 
Acts 2.46, talks about that day by day they were going to the temple and, and serving the Lord. And, and what's interesting is, is this was kind of the religious ritual of the day. And a lot of people were going through the motions. But Acts, as, as they're going on their way to church, essentially, God moved. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I mean, I pray God moves in our church and in our services and things like that. Most of us think, God, I pray you move at church today. But how many of you got up and said, God, I pray you move on the way to church today? I mean, looking for how God's going to move. You've got to realize Peter and John are on their way to church. And as they're on their way, the Bible says that this guy looks at them and he says, hey, I need some help. Do you have any money? I, I, he's, he's a beggar. He was, uh, you know, he was born this way. And, and, and it's interesting, he's in a good spot because in this, he's right by the temple gate. So this is the prime spot for begging because people are coming. They're already in a mood of giving, right? And so, so it's like, hey, I need some money. And the Bible tell, tells us, it's, it's incredible, that Peter and John, they heal him. Now, point number one today, follow along in your notes. I want you to understand this, that, that God uses miracles to get our attention. And that's what's going on right here. God is at work on their way to church, and God is using a miracle to get their attention, get all these people's attention. I mean, think about the disciples. They had just experienced Pentecost where 3,000 people had come to know Christ. And so the church is growing, and they're continuing to pray, and, and, and then God intervenes in a supernatural way in this moment and produces a miracle. Now, let me define a miracle for a second. A miracle is this. It's the rare activity of God when he awakens awe and wonder in people through a mighty work or a sign. And that's, that's a miracle. Again, a miracle is the rare activity of God when he awakens awe and wonder in people through a mighty work or sign. Now, we've seen God answer prayers. Now, now there are times that for us, it's, a mir- it's amazing, it's miraculous that, that we could pray and God will hear us. And that's true. God hears you when you pray. When you go to the Lord and pray, you're not, you're, your words aren't just hitting the ceiling. God hears you, interacts with you. In a couple of weeks, we're going to start the season of Lent and learn through, and we're going to work on the discipline of prayer. But I want you to know there are, there are moments in, in history, in life, when God moves in very rare and miraculous ways. You know, I, I just want to be transparent for a minute. As I was studying this week, I read something that, that, that just grabbed my heart for a, for a little bit. I just had to go to my knees and say, Lord, I, man, I feel this conviction I re- as I was studying this passage, I read a story uh, that was written by a guy named Cornelius, who's a historian, and he wrote a story about Thomas Aquinas. Thomas Aquinas is an old, old theologian. I mean, he's a famous theologian. He's written some incredible philosophical and theological arguments. And, and um, Thomas Aquinas was in the presence of Pope Innocent II. And he walks into where Pope Innocent was, and, and, he, and Pope Innocent was um, counting all this money that had just been given. And Pope Innocent looked at Thomas Aquinas, and he said, well, Thomas, uh, no longer can the church say silver and gold have I none. And Thomas Aquinas looked at the Pope and said, you're right. And no longer can the church say, rise up take your mat, and walk. Man, I just, 
when I read that, I just had to stop for a little bit. And I just had to get on my knees and say, Lord, um, forgive me for the times in my life that I trust in our budgets or, our, or what we can do or the work of our hands. Yeah, we should give and we should work and we should serve passionately. But I'll tell you, I want to be one of those believers that knows the power of God, the desperate power of God. That's where the disciples were. I mean, my goodness, th- th- things were out of control. There were people, they, they were living in a culture that hated them. People are coming to Christ. They're trying to figure out, oh, man, we've got we've to serve the Lord. We've gotta, we're starting the church. And what's interesting is in this moment, God uses a miracle to get all these people's attention. I think God does that, wants to do that for us. When I, when I look at the, where we are in our nation, we, we live among a people that are desperate to see God work, but they don't even know it. And see, God, all through, from the very beginning, has used the church to point the world to God's hand in life. Now, as we think about this miracle, can, can we just pause for a minute and let's think about what the Bible teaches about miracles. Because, um, you know, this man was paralyzed from birth. Acts 4, we'll look at next week, that he was 40 years old. Grown man that's been this way forever. Now, when the Bible teaches about sickness and healing, do you know that there's sometimes there's a direct link between personal sin and sickness? Sometimes that's happened. that happens. The Bible talks about we reap what we sow. And, and this was a common understanding about, uh, Jewish understanding about sickness and, and pain and suffering. Sometimes suffering is brought on because of sin. But like Jesus taught us when, you remember the, when he healed the man born blind, they said, who sinned, this man or his parents? He said, none. This was the work of God so that God would be um, praised and that God would be evident in the world. Be, sometimes there's, there's a relationship between sin and sickness, but not all the time. Second thing about sin and sickness, sometimes there's no relationship between the two. Like Jeremy Freeman, uh, he's the pastor at First Baptist uh, Newcastle in Newcastle, Oklahoma. He worked for me for a year, and, and uh, his son died of cancer. And people would come up to him and go, hey, who sinned? What, what, what sins in your life, Jeremy? You know, sometimes people get sick, and there's no relationship between sin and sickness. Um, and I wanted you to know and this is important to understand, that it's not God's will, will for everyone to be supernaturally healed. Because as a pastor, we've prayed and we've watched the Lord do that. But, but also, I've stood here a lot and preached the funeral of people that I've prayed for. So it's interesting. We've got to understand miracles. You've got to understand what the Bible teaches about miracles. Now, there's, there's five purposes of miracles. I just want to give to you quickly, and we won't expound on them. But, but God produces miracles to advance the gospel. 
There are times that God will move in a supernatural way for the purpose of the gospel advancing, for people to recognize that salvation is found in only him. And, and I'll tell you, this is something I pray for because we live in a culture that is seeing Jesus as just one of the options. Now, I want you to know that's not, what, that's not true. That's not right. We, we live in a world that's getting more and more secular and more and more scientific in their ex- explanation of life. And, and, and we, we think we're really smart. But the reality is God exists and we need him. And there are times that God will step outside of nature and do something supernatural to advance the gospel. Second thing, um, God will produce miracles to bear witness to God's kingdom. That, that this world's not all there is. There's another kingdom coming. The Bible's clear on this. And, and we are strangers in this world. But there will, ta- there will be times that God will work supernaturally to bear witness to his kingdom. There are times, God, there are times that God moves supernaturally to help those in need. And this is, we see this in Scripture. Miracles come uh, given to us, these rare occurrences, because it helps someone in need. There are times that, that miracles come to remove hindrances to people's ministry, that, that people have been at work and doing something, and God wants to remove that hindrance, so he'll do a miracle. And then all miracles, and this is something that happens, but, but some miracles come to bring glory to God. Though you can argue all miracles bring glory to God, and they absolutely do. But, but you've got to understand that sometimes we will experience a miracle that won't reveal itself until we get to heaven. So recognize that. But in this instance, in Acts 3, God produced this incredible miracle and 5,000 people on this day came to know Jesus. 5,000 crazy. Now, there's a really cool verse, Hebrews 2, 4. It talks about miracles. It's a, uh, while God also bore witnesses by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Now, this is important in Hebrews because we are a people that submit to the will of God. And this is why we shouldn't doubt the Lord when we pray for healing and somebody doesn't appear to be healed in this life. Folks, we've got to recognize God has a plan and a will. And so understand that. Now, look back at verse 3. And, and this is point number two. I want you to get this. And I want you to catch this. I want you to look for this as Peter interacts with this. Point number two is this. We've got to be ready when God opens the door. I mean, God opens a door here, and, and, and Peter was ready. And John, they were ready. Love, look at verse 3. It says this, Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms, and Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. I mean, Peter was ready. You know what, I was convicted this week because you know, I, I bet Peter and, and John got up that day and they, they were expecting God to move and they were like, God, hey, what are you gonna do today? I'm ready. What are you gonna do today? When's the last time you woke up, your alarm went off and, and you hit the snooze a couple of times, and then you got up and said, God, I'm ready. What are you going to do today? What are you going to do today? 
Oh, folks, this is the zone I pray we live in. I pray that we as men and women called by God live in this zone that every day we get up and say, God, I'm ready. What are you going to do today? I'll tell you what, if, you, if we can get in that zone, I'll tell you, we, we, will, we will be blown away at what God does in, in our lives, in and through us. And this is the zone that Peter and John are in. They're like, Lord, I'm ready. What are you going to do today? And then they, they see this guy, and, he's, he's, he, and he says, look at me. Look at me. And he says, get up, take up your mat, and walk. And then the guy gets up. His ankles are strong, and he, and he starts jumping around. And, and he's not Baptist because he's dancing, and he's praising. And, and, uh, and he had rhythm already. He never practiced before. And, and so he's like praising the Lord. He follows him into the temple, and everybody's looking at him going, we know that guy. We saw that guy. That's the guy that's always at the gate. What in the world is happening? He's dancing, jumping around, praising the Lord. And I love what Peter says. Everybody's filled with awe and amazement. And and what I love about this beggar, let's think about this beggar for a second. Peter just jumped on this opportunity because this beggar, he was born in this condition. He, he, He was born this way. Do you know there's so many similarities to us? Do you know that you and I were born sinners? We were born, the Bible says, Romans 3, 23, for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. We can relate to this guy because this is who we were. He couldn't change his condition. He was hopeless. This guy's hopeless. He's at the gate. He can't walk. He can't move. The best he can do is ask for money. You know, I love what Romans 5, 6 through 8 says. It says, for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would even dare to die. But God showed his love in this, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. You see, Peter was ready, man. He saw this guy that was born in this condition. He was hopeless. He couldn't change it. And all this guy could do was look forward to begging. He had no humanly way to get out of it. And then God healed him right there. And then Peter goes into this this temple, and everybody's looking at this going, I don't understand. And Peter's like, hey, let me talk to you. And this Peter, who was, who was at, just a few weeks ago, had been, had a month ago, had been denying Christ and, and had been afraid of this little girl and had been uh, just a coward. Now he stands up in front of all these people and he, and he just takes advantage of this opportunity. Look at verse 12. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? Peter's like, look, we didn't do this. This wasn't our strength. What are, let me tell you what this is about. And, and folks, this is what I pray for us as a church, that, that, that we recognize our role in a world that's moving further and further away from God. It's our job, it's our calling to stop and go, hey, let me tell you what this is all about. Let me tell you what God is doing. Let me show you where God is at work. And this is our calling. Verse 14, Peter gets up and he's bold and he's strong and he looks at him and he's not timid and he says, but you denied, look what he calls Jesus, the holy and righteous one. 
and ask for a murderer to be granted to you. These people were there. They saw, they, they, were, they, they watched Jesus go to the cross. They, they were part of the crowd saying, give us Barabbas. And then he says, and you killed the author of life. I mean, these people are like, what? That's who Jesus is. He's the author of life. And folks, we live in a world right now that puts Jesus in the same boat as Muhammad or Buddha or um, I read something this week from, I can't remember, some religious leader. I can't remember his name. He wears the robe all the time and he's from India, I think. But, but he got up and said, all religions are teaching the same thing. And they're not. See, Jesus is the author of life. And this is what Peter does. He says, look, you put to death the author of life. Then he says, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. So God is doing this miraculous work, and, he's, and, and Peter and John are faithful to be right there in that moment, taking advantage of that opportunity, saying, look, this is God at work. And you know what I pray for us as a church? That we are walking with the Lord so closely, that we are expecting the Lord to move, that we are a group of people that say every day, God, we're getting up. What are you going to do today? And we live in that zone. And as we live in that zone, the world will see God at work. And all we have to do is go, look at what he did. Look at what God's doing. Oh, this is the adventure of walking with Jesus. And this is why I beg you and I plead with you and I want to help you walk with Jesus and know Christ and to trust Jesus and to follow his word because we're ambassadors for Christ. Look at what Peter says, verse 19. He says, your only chance, the only deliverer, the only holy one, the only sinless one, the only giver of life, you're rejecting him. You've rejected him. In verse 19, it says, Peter goes, repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you. Jesus. You see, God used this lame man as this object lesson, as this moment where the world could see God's at work. God has saved. God has come into the world. And, and, and see, here's, here's the thing. Sometimes as believers, we make the gospel so complicated. But can I tell you, when God moves, it's pretty easy because you just go, yeah, God did, look what God did. Oh my goodness, God did that. It's like when I think about the ambassadors and the baseball ministry that we started. Folks, I, I wear this bracelet every day. When I had jury duty last week, this lady asked me about it, and I got to go, well, hey, we're just sitting here at jury duty. We've got lots of time. Let me tell you about it. You see, because it's, it's just a way to share the gospel, because I've watched God work in my life. And folks, that's what Peter's doing. So so sometimes we make the gospel so complicated. But Peter just simply and clearly shared the gospel. So can I challenge us to clearly and simply communicate the gospel? That's point number three. 
to clearly and simply communicate the gospel. Sometimes we make it, oh, we've got to, um, you know, have all these philosophical arguments. So those are good to wrestle with, and we've tri- we've strived to, we're striving to do that. But the reality is, simply and clearly share the gospel. That's what Peter does. What does he do? He says, repent and be baptized. Or excuse me, repent. Verse 19, repent therefore and turn back from your sins. Turn back that your sins may be blotted out. I mean, the gospel moves you to repentance. And you know what? There might be some here today that you've never repented of your sins. You've never experienced that moment of, I'm going this way and I gotta turn around and go this way. You see, repentance means that a couple of things. Let me explain it. Repentance means that I changed my mind about sin. That's what repentance means. That that I'm gonna change my mind about sin. We live in a world that says sin's no big deal. It doesn't hurt you. Let me tell you, sin will destroy your life. I, I see it in, 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 with, with lost people, with people that don't know Christ. Sin will destroy them. They, they, there is no hope in the next life if you don't allow Christ to take your sin away. You have no hope. When you die, you are destined for eternity in hell. And that's just, that's the scripture. I've watched believers that have said, ah, sin's not gonna hurt me. Sin hurts every time. This is why we've gotta get it out of our lives. We've got to change our mind about sin. That's what repentance does. Repentance is changing our mind, saying, look, I'm not going to believe that about sin anymore. Repentance is is changing our mind about Jesus. That that as when we change our mind about Jesus, we don't see him as one of the ways to heaven, as one of the choices. No, when you repent, and this is what Peter's doing, he says, look, you've got to change your mind about Jesus. He went to the cross for you. This was the author of life. You put him on the cross. Change your mind about Jesus. That's what repentance is. And, and, and he's, just, he's not mildly important for us. Christ is our Lord and Savior, and we submit to him, surrender to him. And I pray today that, that maybe you're here, and, and, and Christianity is just one of, uh, Jesus is just one of the ways to heaven. I, I hope that I can change your mind today or do my best to convince you. Change your mind about Jesus. He's God, the author of life. Repentance means that we change our mind about sin. We change our mind about Jesus. Repentance means that we change our mind about salvation. See, these were religious people. They were going through the motions. They were doing religious things. They were, they were coming to the temple, and they were earning their way to heaven. And, and, and uh, you'll hear me say all the time, you can't earn your way to heaven. And I run into people all the time. I was on a mission trip once to Nicaragua, and, and uh, we were outside this really, really big church. And, and um, I was sharing the gospel with this guy, and, and he said, no, I'm going to heaven because I came to church today. I was like, dude, you, you, you like stood out in the steps and talked to me the whole time. He goes, that's okay, I came. I'm good. I was like, no, let's talk about this, man. That's not how you're saved. And so, so I, I mean, I didn't just stand and yell at him, but I said, Let, let's talk about this. Let's talk about what the Bible says. I don't want you coming here thinking, oh, I gave to the church in the offering, so I'm going to heaven. Now, see, Peter and John get up and say, let's change your mind about salvation. You can't earn your way to heaven. God has accepted me not on the basis of what I do, but on the basis of what Christ has already done for me on the cross. And that's that's what Jesus has done. Look at 19 again. 
Repent, therefore, and return that your sins may be wiped out. Now think about this. When, when, when you repent of your sins, when you, when you come to Jesus and you experience salvation, you know what happens? Your sins are blotted out. And, and I want to tell you today that no matter what you've done, your sins can be erased. That's what Jesus did on the cross. That's what his blood does. It erases your sin. You may say, well, Chris, you look, you don't know. Nobody knows this. I've had an abortion. You may say, Chris, no, nobody knows this, but, but I'm, I, I struggled with pornography this morning before I came to church. You, you may say, Chris, you, you, don't, you don't know. I've had an affair, and, and nobody knows this yet. I'm not worthy. I, let me tell you something. The gospel erases your sin. That's what Jesus did. That's what Christ did on the cross. That's why Peter and John were so faithful to say, look, no, understand who Jesus is. He went to the cross and he died for you. I love this message. I love Peter's message here because see, he's, he's letting them know. Being stuck in your sin, it's not just that life's not gonna go well for you or that you're a bad person, it's you're dead. See, before you come to Christ, before I came to Christ, I wasn't just in trouble, I was dead. And what Jesus did when he saved me, he brought me from death to life. I love Colossians, this verse in Colossians chapter four, or two, verse 13 and 14 says, as you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, and he set it, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. And what Peter does in this moment, he said, look, when Jesus went to the cross, he nailed your debt there. And that's why I plead with you, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, come to Jesus. Come to him today. If, if you're a believer today, you've trusted Christ as your Savior. Folks, let's hear this. If you just remember one thing today, we are called to live in that zone of expecting God to move. And I pray that we are a group of people, we are a body of Christ, because the church is not this building. The church is us. And I pray that we are believers serving the Lord, waking up every morning saying, God, what are you going to do today? God, I'm ready today. I'm expecting you to move today. That's the zone that Peter and John were in. And in this day, as, as Peter shares the gospel, as he communicates this, 5,000 people said, I need, I need to follow Christ. And they came and they followed Jesus Folks, we live in a world that's just as desperate to see God move. Let's walk with him. Let's serve him. Let's not, if you're a believer and you're, you're on the bench, you're flirting with sin, you're, you're kind of going your own way and you know it, 
Come back to him. Life's too short, and these days are too critical for us to coast. No, let's expect God to move in us and through us. And when, not if, when miracles happen, we can say, look what God's doing. And you know what? A lost world apart from Christ will come because they know and they will discover that their, their way doesn't work. We're going to have an invitation. And I don't know how God has spoken to you today. But I'll, I'll tell you what. We've got to be ready to move. And this is why we have invitations. This is why we stand when we sing. Uh, because, you know, God's ready to move us. God's moving us. Maybe you need to come and get on your knees and pray at the altar. And say, God, forgive me. Maybe you need to do like Joe did this week. Come and say, look, I need, I need Christ life.